Hi all, welcome to Anime Echoes. So we'll be going through Bakano Light Novel 9, um, pages 54 to 77. So the next scene felt like an intimate one. I feel like we got some good insights into Christopher and we're able to see him when he's vulnerable. We get to meet a new character too. After a small recap showing that Christopher had been stabbed by some thug and that was actually planted in the Russo family, um, we get to find out that he's been in hospital and he was coming in and out of sleep. He was thinking about how in his 40 years, it was his first loss and that actually pained him. He was being confronted with the fact that a human was far more superhuman than he was despite him being an unnatural being. His loss to Claire has kind of done a number on him. Not only that, after being stabbed, he found himself acting just like a human would experiencing the fear of death that so many of his victims had felt. So it's showing that the differences he had once seen between himself and humans wasn't there anymore. He felt the same fear. He thought he was different, and yet in death, he felt the same. And he thought he was unnatural. And then there's Claire, someone who by all logic shouldn't be all that unnatural, but he had completely unnatural strength. I really enjoyed this recount. Um, because we get to see a more subdued Christopher. Normally, he's so crazy and zany, but we start with him being more mellow and contemplative. Now, when he does fully wake up, he finds out that the kid who helped him was Ricardo Russo, so someone from the Russo family. Specifically, the grandson of Placido. He's who helped him out. I thought there was um like a funny description where so Christopher slightly smiles at Ricardo, and it's mentioned that he has unsettling dolphin teeth and that it just completely ruined the mood. So I found this funny because like Christopher actually gives a genuine smile and it's just remo- like ruined because of how disgusting his teeth are. And it's just like, uh, maybe like don't smile, just put those back in, please. I mean, I think his teeth look cool, but um, I just thought it was a funny scene. Anyways, Christopher's like ruminating. He's in a ruminating mood and he's wondering why he didn't say help me to Chris- um, to Ricardo. And when Ricardo found him on the floor, like bleeding out, instead he had said, will you be my friend? So this is really interesting. He has a yearning for friendship. Very interesting. Why was that his dying question? It really feels like he has a serious yearning for connection. Like he wanted Firo to be his friend. And he does tell Ricardo, like, thanks for saving me and being my friend. He also mentions to Ricardo that he will have Ricardo meet the rest of his friends, like Chi, Rail, Frank, you know, all those people. So friends is a big deal to Christopher, and he even had that goal to make 100 friends. So yeah, definitely a big deal. Christopher even mentions one of his perspectives on friendships. So yeah, we're going deep. He doesn't mind if there is a transactional element to it. That when people talk, one person can feel emotionally uplifted, uplifted sorry, by another person and vice versa. Like there's a give and take element involved and that's okay. Also, he's okay with parasitic and symbiotic relationships. Uh, sim- symbiotic relationships also include give and take between um, two organized- organisms. Sorry. And parasitic relationships feel more, they feel more like a host taking over. He's okay with any form of relationship that is natural or in nature. So since parasitic and symbiotic relationships exist in the animal kingdom, it's all good for him because it's natural. 
So Christopher is like super open to like various types of friendships or relationships and all the different ways that they can take. So he's okay with the give and the take and just just about everything, like all of the above. So friendships and stuff is quite important to Christopher, but I don't think he's looking for specific friendships. He might just want a lot of friends. So maybe a real relationship with someone may result in Christopher like developing some specificity into like the kind of friends he wants. So instead of just wanting like a hundred friends, he might want like a certain type of friends or maybe he still wants like a hundred, but you know, like they have to have like a certain flavor for him. Like instead of being open to just about anything and never landing anywhere, um, he might develop preference. Anyways, um, despite Ricardo effectively saving his life by using men from the Russo family, Christopher isn't indebted to the family. So Christopher just kind of ends up as a bodyguard for Ricardo. So that's a pretty cool outcome. So he showed up, he showed his horrible teeth, and Ricardo's like, yes, this is the bodyguard that I want. Now let's get into um, Ricardo's character and his dynamic with Christopher. So Ricardo is pretty introverted. Like, Christopher has to start conversations and he has to fill up space. Like, Ricardo is very okay with the silence. Like, he doesn't feel the awkwardness in the moment at all. Like, there's a real sense of, like, detachment and self-containment that Ricardo has. Christopher references that his eyes have a similar deadness to Sickles. So, yeah, that's some, you know, deep detachment Um, if you look that dead. Though, Ricardo's motivations for saving Christopher are shrouded in mystery. Like, he even watched Christopher kill a bunch of, like, the Russo family's men, but he still saved him. Now, we do get, like, a little bit, though. He saved him because he thought Christopher was the type of guy to smash up every last bit of the world he hates, himself included. So that's really interesting. He has a deep hatred for the world and for himself. I wonder if he hates himself for being part of the world he hates, not necessarily like a like a deep hatred because he's done something or like he hasn't done anything wrong, but because he's forced to live the mafia life. He kind of um, reminds me of a young Huey. We learned in the previous novel that when Huey was young, he felt like destroying the world. And also Huey possesses like a similar amount of detachment. I wonder if the author will use Ricardo as like a side-by-side comparison with Huey and the person who'll be like noticing those differences or those similarities will be Christopher. Um, We can tell that Christopher is very interested in Ricardo, and despite Christopher telling himself that he will leave whenever the twins contact, it was pretty obvious that he wouldn't leave, and him staying for a year was, you know, it was no surprise. So yeah, um, I thought this was a pretty, really good scene, actually. Um, I feel like we learned a lot, and the dynamic between Christopher and Ricardo is really interesting. Christopher's quirkiness and Ricardo's introversion, like, they make for a good combo. Like, the awkwardness is kind of fun. Um, Also, Ricardo seems to not fear death. Even when um, Christopher puts his hand on Ricardo's throat, he was just completely unfazed. Um, Feeling how um, bummed out Christopher was at the start was also really, really good. Like, I really love seeing this side to him, like, this contemplative side. Like, you can tell he's, like, really kind of torn up about it, and he's also just a lot more silent than usual. I feel like this plotline has, like, a lot of potential. Like, a like a real friendship can be, like, developed and then, like, nourished into something special. Like, I never would have imagined Christopher um, being involved in a plotline with the Russo family as well, in general. Like, I just didn't think those um, players would meet. Um, maybe Lad, 
Um, but the Russo family and their grandson was not something I ever saw coming. Um, and also, I wonder how Christopher will change through um, like Ricardo's influence now that he's like reflecting more, right? He's like in a more reflective state. He's thinking more, so I feel like he'll be more receptive to what Ricardo has to say. Um, or, or if Christopher will like rub off on Ricardo, right? Maybe he'll um, get out of his introverted shell a bit more, or I don't know. Maybe, maybe Christopher will be like an ideal for him or something. I don't know. Um, so all in all, yeah, just really, really good stuff. Um, really good scene. Definitely my favorite so far. Like I'm already on board with their dynamics. So yeah, definitely my favorite scene so far. The next scene is an odd one. It's one I can't fully put my finger on only because it confuses me um, quite a bit as far as like the timeline is concerned. Either way, we jump over to Carol and the vice president. We get some interesting history about the area surrounding Miss Wall and some history about how the Nebula Corporation began and how it eventually became like a huge conglomerate. Carol is staring at Miss Wall and it's right before them and she's kind of in awe and she wants to take a photo but the vice president of the Daily Days says not to do that so rest in peace photo. That they should save their film for moments of importance. Now we learn that Carol has been like beating herself up slightly because 10 days ago when they first arrived in the city what happened was that they wound up in like the middle of like a train robbery. So that's a pretty bad start. Oh, and I, I think I get what they're referring to. Like, first I thought they were referring to that epilogue scene where they ended up getting stopped by Hilton and she had, like, a gun and she was asking for them to, like, give them give information, basically. But this train robbery that they're referring to is probably another incident that happened because as far as the timeline is concerned, like, this scene should happen prior to the epilogue scene. Like, the epilogue is the end. It's not, you know, a random scene just within the novel. And um, that being said, I don't think we actually know what the train robbery was because the Flying Pussyfoot incident, that happened in 1931 and we're in 1934 now, so it can't be that. So I guess this is just some random robbery that they went through, so I think that makes sense. They enter the Nebula Corporation and they spot Senator Barium. So Carol's surprised at seeing the Senator there, but the Vice President isn't at all. Like, he's really non-reactive. You know that he has that kind of demeanor where he doesn't really get phased by much. Like he's just like, oh yeah, that's just a senator. No one important, all good. He tells Carol that she should just act the same way. Like there's no point reacting so much to just a senator. That being said, like we the reader, like we know that Senator Barium will be a big deal. He's been mentioned like a bunch of times, like almost like a similar amount of times to Huey. I mean, probably not that much, but he's been mentioned a bunch. And he's declared war on Huey at the vol at the end of Volume 7. So the dude's out for blood, and he wants to prove the value of humanity. Or humanity as it is right now, like the power of humanity. So, in my opinion, Carol's instincts were on point as far as like this specific interaction is concerned. Now, off-screen, the Vice President and Carol, they have like this little meeting with Mr. Mulbridge, and he's the chairman of Nebula. This exhausted Carol because she didn't think he would be so intimidating. So I guess this is a big deal. Actually, I don't know. Like, most likely he wasn't a big deal. Um, I think Carol's nerves just ended up getting to her. Anyways, the vice president goes to get a beverage and he leaves Carol, you know, his distraught assistant. Like, she's just sitting there, like, thinking, like, oh man, this went really, really bad. And then in the meantime, Renee appears. Remember Renee? 
like the um the cluts basically like they're both pretty frazzled so carol and renee have something kind of in common right now they're both always uh they're both just really frazzled at this moment though carol is frazzled because of what happened right she's normally in like a cheerful like state um she's kind of acts like a kid you know all that stuff renee's default state is of being clumsy and frazzled. Like, so they're both just like, oh, sorry, sorry, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So yeah, there was a lot of that going on. Though, because they seemed similar, or like cut from the same cloth, like, this helped Carol, like, calm herself down, because she was able to actually have a conversation with her. I did really like that line. Like, noticing that someone is similar to you, like, generally makes you feel at ease. So I thought that line was pretty striking to how, like, like, her nervousness and how it actually, like, went away. It made a lot of sense. Also, just more facts about Carol. We learned that Carol has a really, like, inquisitive mind that just loves to, like, devour information, and she loves questioning. Like, she's really curious, and she wants to be really good at becoming a journalist, and that's why she's with the vice president. But, as we mentioned before, like, she can get overwhelmed really easily. Now, Carol's not just left with, um, with Renee right? The vice president didn't just up and leave and go get a beverage and just like, you know, piss off. Like he came back um, and he comes back and he turns out he knows Renee. I mean, um, well, of course he does. Like he is the vice president of an information brokerage. So that's not surprising. Like the dude probably knows everything. Um, but what is surprising is that the president of the Daily Days knows Renee personally. So that's really interesting. Like, they might have an interesting dynamic that we might be able to see. And just like Carol, like, I too could only, like, picture the the president as just a guy behind, like, a shit ton of papers on his desk. So to think that, like, Renee personally knows him makes it even more interesting. Like, for now, he just seems more of, like, a meme or, like, this guy just in the... You know, he's just a guy behind a desk. Like, even when there was a bunch of action during the fourth novel... um. Like, he, he just sat there. Anyways, like, I'm I'm really interested to see, like, what kind of connection they actually have. Also, in this scene, we get to see, like, cracks in Renee's personality that showcases more of her, like, amoral side. Like, when the vice president asks, like, what she's doing, Renee says, I wasn't thinking of kidnapping her or turning her into a guinea pig. Like, that was the first thing that just, like, comes out of her mouth. Quite a clumsy statement, I think. And while Carol just took it as a joke, like, we know that it's not a joke. Or at the very least, it has, like, a bit of truth. Like, we know that Renee is, like, pretty fond of experimentation. I am kind of wondering, like, is the reason Renee blurts that out is because she's just clumsy? Or because she knows that the vice president knows about the experimentation she's been doing? So there's 1,200 immortals. It's probably a bit of both. Um, like, I do think that's a big part of it. Like, she knows that the vice president knows. So she seems to be okay with them knowing. That being said, um, her clumsy side of her personality has been showcased a lot more than her, like, calculating side. Like, we don't know her calculating side at all. Like, we know she's intelligent because she's an experimenter, she's a scientist. But intelligence, at least, in this setting, would be more, like, book smart for her. And she's not necessarily cunning, as far as we can see. But yeah, I am, like, thinking, like, is Renee a character that's really cunning? Like, so far, there's so much evidence that she's more of, like, a clumsy character, that she might not actually be cunning. Like, you get more of an impression from her that it's more like a lack of forethought in just everything she says. 
Now, just jumping back a little, um, like to the fact that the Daily Days president and Renee know each other, like this could be why Hilton in the epilogue thought that the Daily Days and Nebula were in like cahoots. Maybe something will happen like in the next scenes where they actually end up teaming up for whatever reason. Though, with the Daily Days, like we know they try to be as much of a neutral faction as possible. So I think it's more likely that Hilton is misunderstanding like the Daily Days intention. You know, just like um, Gustavo did in the fourth novel. Like the Daily Days were working against him, but really they were just kind of pushing around information for the most part. Like the Daily Days just care about the info and they'll affiliate themselves with people in order to get information. So there's, you know, like there's probably no actual alliance here, but also like the personal connection between Renee and the president could flip that. Anyways, continuing on Renee's clumsiness, she proceeds to basically say so much information to the vice president and Carol about like Homer. Who the hell's Homer? And um, like the Russos as well. But the vice president cuts her off saying that she shouldn't do that. That they're outsiders. After realizing that she had said way too much, she tells Carol that if she had said more, then she would have had to shut Carol up permanently. And this isn't a joke. Like that much is emphasized. So yeah, this is just more evidence to show just how clumsy Renee can be when it comes to information. Like she just blurts it out. Like she's not good at withholding information. But also, she only said that to Carol, not the vice president. Which means she's probably okay with him knowing, but not Carol. She's probably more of the outsider here. So yeah, once again, it's hard to tell if her guard's down because she's with the vice president or because she's clumsy. But I think it's a mix of both. And the through line of her character is having a lack of forethought. Like, she is pretty, pretty clumsy. Another thing that's kind of interesting about her is that her appearance, so the way she looks, and the way she acts, um, makes it hard to tell what kind of person she is. For example, like, she has a very, like, sexy body, like a model, and you generally don't associate that with being a scientist or, like, an experimenter or whatever. I mean, I'm just stereotyping, but I'm talking about, like, there being opposites. Like, she's super clumsy, but then scientists are generally really like precise. She acts and talks really, really nice. But if you peer into her actual language that she uses, you can tell she's a bit off. She'll make it seem like she's making a joke, but then she's actually being serious. Like what you see is not what you get. I feel like she's a character who on like first appearance, she can like really deceive you and make it really hard to figure out like what kind of person she is. Like there's a way that her contradictions just make her confusing. So I think this is why like, um, the vice president is so hesitant towards Renee. And she asks Carol if Renee did anything to her. Like he's pretty wary of her. And with the vice president being an information broker, like from the vice president point of view, like from their initial interaction with this person, so with Renee, the information you get from her or meeting her for the first time isn't accurate. Like, it's, like, distorted information. Like, it's hard to get, like, an accurate reading on the information that is her. So, she might be, like, the kind of person an information broker may not like, like, at all. Because she's unreliable information. So, yeah, I thought this was a pretty interesting scene. I'm not sure where this is going, to be honest. Like, my mind was going, like, 50 places at once when I was reading this. Um, also, Renee actually makes me kind of disturbed when I see her. Like, she's so, um, I don't know how to put it into words, but I, I feel like she's, like, like, I feel like she's someone you want to talk to, but have, like, two meters of distance between, or maybe just have a conversation on the phone. 
like you just don't know what to expect with her. And Carol so far seems really, really sweet. Um, I hope she gets over her nerves and becomes like the best journalist ever. Um, and I hope Senator Barium is mentioned more as well. Like I have my eye on this guy and I expect like big things from him. So yeah, overall, really good scene. Renee is very disturbing. Um, Vice President is also pretty cool. Um, I like all of the dialogue that he has. Um, and yeah, overall, really, really good. Now, thank you for everyone for listening. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Anime Echoes. That's two words. And if you could leave a review or a like, that would be really helpful. Okay, thanks again and have a good one. Bye.